0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Log on to AudiblePodcast.com slash science to get a free audiobook download today. Welcome to Science Talk, the weekly podcast of Scientific American for the seven days starting December 26th. I'm Steve Mursky. This week on the podcast, I've got a slightly late Christmas gift for you, a talk by Harvard naturalist E.O. Wilson. Plus we'll test your knowledge about some recent science in the news. On November 8th, two-time Pulitzer Prize winner E.O. Wilson spoke at the New York Botanical Garden in the Bronx. The occasion was a celebration of a rare tour of one of the fundamental books in the history of science, Carl Linnaeus' *Systema Naturae. The 1758 edition of the book was the first serious attempt to categorize and classify animal life on Earth. Wilson talked about the great Swedish naturalist and today's effort to carry on the task Linnaeus began. I recorded Wilson's talk, and when I asked him afterwards if I could share it with the Siam audience, he said, I hope you will. It's edited slightly for time. Here's E.O. Wilson.
1: I wanted to call attention to um, a delightful song that's been uh, composed locally, and the copy of it was given to me by Karen Boom. which is... Brian Boom, who teaches uh, elementary schools uh, school. And uh, I, you know we've always felt all that, us, that the study of biological diversity was a great way to bring kids into science, not just science, but also get them thinking about nature and, and enjoying nature at an early age and that it would be something they should hear about. All through their educational experience. So here is a song that they sing at Karen Boom's classes. It's sung to the, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> Relax. Uh, but it's sung to the uh, tune of Clementine and its title is Classification is Easy kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species, we will all learn classification just as easy as you please. When we study living creatures, we must call them the right name so we can group them by their features and how they are all the same. Chorus. Aristotle tried to group things based on what he had observed, but Linnaeus used a method where he Name them with two words. Binomial nomenclature isn't too hard to explain. Just remember it by means two and nominal means its name. So it won't be too confusing to the scientists of the world. The names are all in Latin. So let's use them boys and girls. Okay, well the rest of the <laughs> Well, now, that's the essence of my lecture. Uh, everything else is commentary. And I uh, would uh, like to begin by making a reminder, not necessary to many of the distinguished experts sitting in this room, that we are, as far as uh, our field is concerned, in a, 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 a veritable uh, explosion of centennials observances, because this year, of course, we have Linnaeus's, uh, her of his birth, and mm-hmm. next year, uh, something I originally pointed out to my Swedish colleagues several years ago, I said, you, you must celebrate this one, uh, and that's the, uh, uh, the 250th, the quarter since, the quarter millennium of the publication of the 10th edition of, uh, the Systema Natura, uh, the beginning, at least for animals, and this was to be true from then on for all organisms, of the, uh, priority system and the regularization of, sort of the classification system, uh, for that persists to this day. Then the next year, 09, of course, uh, is the bicentennial of Charles Darwin's birth. February, uh, the 12th, 1809, the same Day, month, and year is Abraham Lincoln. And it is furthermore the sesquicentennial, 150 years of the publication of The Origin of Species. So we're going to be in a frenzy. (laughs) So it's my privilege to introduce Carl Linnaeus, also known as Carolus Linnaeus, also known, I know now correctly, as Carl von Linnae, master naturalist of the 18th century, Explorer, first synthesizer of the world's flora and fauna, professor of medicine at Uppsala, there were no botanists in those early days, member of the order of the polar star, his favorite honor, uh, and hero of Sweden. He begins his career, as many of you will know, by going to the north to the wilderness areas that are still there of Switzerland and the remainder of finno uh, where, uh, he, uh, 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 experienced what the Germans called a Wanderjara, the years of wandering. He uh, went as a young man into an unknown unknown area, that's the essence of this, and many a great naturalist has begun his career by having this kind of experience turned loose to find everything that he possibly could about a place where others really knew nothing or little. That of course was one of the, that was the, uh, transformative experience of Charles Darwin as well. Linnaeus's driving purpose was to bring order out of chaos, uh, in the living world. It gave us a system of classification, uh, systema naturae, na- literally the system of nature that has lasted to the present day. It can be uh, reasonably assumed in considering its importance as the first words to emerge during the origin of human species, of the human species with the names of plants and animals. That advance, which may have occurred as far back as uh, 150,000 years ago, could be regarded as the earliest forerunner of science. Accuracy and repeatability and communication about the environment surely were then as now necessary for survival. Getting things by their right names, as the Chinese put it, is the first step to wisdom. During the past 2,300 years, systematics, the science of classification evolved in Western culture through four stages. The first was a hierarchical system introduced by Aristotle. Although this first uh, recorded uh, systematics of history muddled the picture somewhat by strict formal criterion adherence to Platonic essentialism, Aristotle did establish the concept of taxonomic hierarchy. In this case, the eidos of a particular form and the genus of the group of common, or similar appearing creatures Aristotle recognized some 520 animal species, mostly from Greece, that were consistent with his definition of those two categories. During the Middle Ages and into the Enlightenment, much of the research of early um, of early life uh, scientists, early biologists, consisted of systematics in the Aristotelian mode, in an effort. Uh, to perfect a system of classification for all known plants and animals. Microorganisms, of course, and the smaller multicellular organisms were unknown and remained so until the invention of the microscope in the 1600s. But the work of these pre-Linnaean authors like Cess Alpino and Bohan, the Tournefort John Ray, culminated finally with a system devised during the mid-1700s by Carl Linnaeus, The great Swedish biologist, whose name is virtually synonymous with the modern era of systematics, made three decisively influential contributions. The first presented in the uh, Leiden Systema Naturi, the one that's on exhibit here, the first edition, um, formalized the hierarchical system of classification used today. It was a direct philosophical descendant of Aristotle's first scheme, grouping all known organisms into three kingdoms which were then divided successively downward into classes and other uh, groupings, uh, formal groups. The basic unit Linnaeus recognized as a species, thank heavens, he stuck he hit on that, and he aggregated the higher taxonomic categories into successful uh successively larger clusters of species according to their anatomical similarity although he believed in special creation fervently he nevertheless spent his entire career striving to define the diversity of life as a natural comprehensible system as opposed to an arbitrary chaotic system linnaeus's second major contribution was the binomial nomenclatural system introduced in 1753 uh, for uh, plants a systema naturi for animals 1758 in the 10th edition uh, the early system that he used was uh, very close to that of the very capable Joseph uh, Piton de Tournefort, who in 1700 characterized each genus by a single term and the species within it by a brief diagnostic description. Linnaeus uh, name for the genus coupled with a single latinized uh, uh, name assigned to the species followed by a diagnostic description. And so we have our own species, Homo sapiens, and his faithful companion, uh, Canis familiaris. Linnaeus' binomial system facilitated his third great contribution, the initiative to find and diagnose the entirety of biodiversity from local, the local Swedish biota to those all around the world. Such an effort became possible in Linnaeus' scheme because large numbers of species, including novelties, could now be diagnosed and labeled efficiently. He limited himself pretty much uh, to Sweden as going up to Lapland, of course, and uh, spending time on the Baltic island of Erland. But uh, ever productive in his Uppsala headquarters, Linnaeus' then also inspired students, some of whom travel far and wide across the world to collect and describe as many new species as they could find. Where the launching of global biodiversity exploration was an 18th century achievement, (laughs) the great advance of the 19th century, the third landmark in the series of four great advances, noted uh, in the history of systematics was the introduction of evolutionary theory as the leitmotif of biodiversity studies. The first to promote this idea was Lamarck. Uh, his Philosophie Zoologique published in 1809 argued that the world's multitudinous life forms can be organized into a phylogeny, a history of ancestral species and descendant species. But Lamarck's reasoning convinced few scholars of the value of phylogenetic classification, or even of the fact of evolution. Uh, His mechanism was wrong, and I won't go into reason why it was wrong. It was wrong, and it deserves to be ignored tonight. It remained for Charles Darwin in his master work on the origin of species, 50 years later to provide massive and compelling evidence for the outgoing process of evolution. He also put forward the correct explanation for it, natural selection, whereby spontaneous mutations uh, create hereditary variants which compete for survival and reproduction, uh, resulting in the gradual replacement of some variants by others over many generations. Believe me, systematics would have been so much simpler for us today if only it really happened that God just created all the species immutable. <laughs> but unfortunately, because of the evolution by natural selection, we're in constant turmoil trying to define species and, and diagnose them and so on. Anyway... <clears throat> Applied to systematics, evolutionary theory cemented the concept of phylogeny and validated classification above the species level based on phylogenetic reconstruction. What then is the fourth and current advance in systematics I alluded to? It is nothing less than the attempted completion of the great Linnaean enterprise by a full mapping of Earth's biodiversity pole to pole bacteria to whales at every level of biological organization, from the genome to the ecosystem. It aims to yield as complete as possible a cause and effect explanation of the biosphere and the correct and verifiable family tree for all of the millions of species. In short, it aims to undergird a unified biology, which I believe will be the great achievement of the 21st century, the age of synthesis uh, that we have now entered. This is a task which, in spite of centuries of effort already devoted to it, can be said scarcely to have begun. Now, 250 years after the Sistema, the 10th edition, we still have discovered only as few as 10% of the species of organisms living on Earth. Most kind of flowering plants and birds are discovered, but our knowledge of insects and other small invertebrates, of fungi and bacteria and other microorganisms is shockingly incomplete. For example, about 60,000 species of molds, mushrooms, and other kinds of fungi are known to science now, but the true number has been estimated to exceed 1.5 million. The number of known species of nematode roundworms, the most abundant animals on earth, four out of every five animals on earth is a nematode roundworm. That number is about sixteen thousand species known, but the numbers of actual species could run into the millions, and we have to ask, what are they doing? I mean if we don't even if we don't even know what they are uh, yet but we know they're there in vast variety and enormous abundance. Uh, then um, clearly they must be doing something important at these ecosystems that are the foundation of our own life. Well, uh, uh, now we come to the bacteria quickly in passing. Say on the order of ten thousand species of bacteria have been found in this crime. But there are five to six thousand species of bacteria in a handful of garden soil, one gram, one billion bacteria representing five to 6,000 species, estimated. Uh, There are, in one ton of soil, 4 million species. We're just on the edge. As far as our knowledge of these go, and of the viruses whose genes are thought to uh, outnumber in variety all of the genes of the rest of life, we we might as well be on Mars. Each of these and millions of other species are exquisitely well adapted, we have to keep that in mind, and they are interlocked and intricate ecological um, webs of interaction. We have scarcely begun to understand, and they are a large part of the foundation of the world's ecosystems. Our lives depend utterly upon this largely unknown part of the living world. And we live, in short, on a little known planet When dealing with the living world, we are flying mostly blind. When we try to diagnose the health of an ecosystem, such as a lake or a forest, in order to save and stabilize it, we're in the position of a doctor trying to treat a patient knowing only 10% of the organs. But now, new advances in technology, including swift genomics. Uh this is this is where we are we can we can get the entire genome of a bacterium now 1 million order of magnitude 1 million base pairs or genetic letters uh and um, do that under 4 hours and it's getting shorter and cheaper all the time so we can now go out and and begin to explore the other parts of the world uh the digital uh photography High resolution photography pioneered by the New York Botanical Garden ahead of, way ahead of everybody else of all the types and authenticated specimens for, <coughs> correct me again if I'm wrong, over 90,000 species. Uh, the virtual herbarium set the, uh, set the direction and set the example for what can be done with internet publication. Now spreading around the world to other collections, this approach, allow us to speed the exploration of the living world by as much as ten times and further to organize the information and make it immediately accessible as an open source everywhere in the world. This dream is brought to reality and practicability uh, by the Encyclopedia of Life, launched on May 9th of this year. Uh, it represents the convergence of efforts by scientists working principally in museums and herbarias and other centers of the major collections of species diversity, and planners and large libraries that contain the totality of already published information in biological diversity, and has begun to develop irreversibly because it's going to be a giant vetted, you know, quality-controlled Wicca Pedia to which more and more people can, uh, uh, can contribute. And, uh, the, what it is, is, uh, a, an electronic encyclopedia with an indefinitely extensible page for each species containing everything known about that species. New phenomena and new connections among phenomena will come to light as this develops. Uh, the idea is that we, that this information that goes online uh, then uh, eventually and we hope to have the first 1.8 million species approximately thus completed in the first 10 years and as it goes online and encourages more and more Linnaean style expeditions and explorations then uh, it will be uh, make the knowledge of uh, the living world available to anyone, anytime, anywhere, free. And that's is a reality already within our grasp. Uh, com, uh, at the same time, uh, the, uh, an initiative was launched called the Biodiversity Heritage Life Library, and this has begun to scan all of the diversity biodiversity literature, in fact that means most of the biological literature, uh, and uh, make that available online as well, all the time, to anyone, anywhere. There are estimated 300 million pages to go, but they're already past the first couple of million pages. And uh, with such encyclopedic knowledge, then biology as a whole can fully mature as a science and acquire predictive power, species by power, uh species, ecosystem by ecosystem. The, uh, for those interested in checking it out, it has a, uh, we have a lovely little uh, uh, website uh, and the address is eol.org. encyclopedia will serve human welfare in immediate practical ways, the discovery of wild plants, species, for example, already this has gone so far here at the garden, but anyway, it's worth mentioning that it will go even faster in the future. Adaptable for agriculture, new genes for enhancement of crop productivity, new classes of pharmaceutical, all will be accelerated. The outbreak of pathogens and harmful harmful plant and animal invasives will be better anticipated. Never again need we overlook so many golden opportunities in the living world around us or be so often surprised by the sudden appearance of destructive aliens that spring uh, from uh, that uh, living world. Well, uh, to finish, we systematists, including those who uh, plan the Encyclopedia of Life, who have been inspirited by the prospects of it, are grateful to the memory of Carl and Neus, who led the way in the systematic exploration of life on this planet, which we must now, for the good of the planet and humanity, hurry up to finish. Thank you.
0: If you'd like to read my column on Linnaeus and his legacy, it's in the January issue of Scientific American. You can also find it free on the SIAM website. I created a short URL for it at tinyurl.com, which randomly assigned it the fortuitous designation of tinyurl.com slash 2BOTQY, which is clearly short for Botanical Query. Now it's time to play Totally Bogus. Here are four science stories, only three are true. See if you know which story is totally bogus. Story one, Toshiba has developed a tiny nuclear reactor designed to power individual buildings. Story two, the annual Festival of Lights in Los Angeles' Griffith Park, announced that it was going green this year and banned all non-hybrid cars from driving through the event. Story three, Linnaeus took revenge on people he didn't like by naming unpleasant species for them. And story four, the fatty acids in reindeer's legs become more unsaturated closer to the hoof, which helps prevent the membranes from freezing. Time's up. Story one is true. Toshiba's micronuclear reactor would put out 200 kilowatts. According to NextEnergyNews.com, the reactor could fit in a good-sized basement. Hey, look, honey, the neighbors have their own nuclear reactor. We should get one. Story four is true. Reindeer legs do have more unsaturated fatty acids closer to the hooves, which keeps the membranes nice and loose. That's according to the University of Alaska's Institute of Arctic Biology. Too bad Santa doesn't have more unsaturated fatty acids. And story three is true. Linnaeus was not above jabs at personal enemies by naming certain species for them. For example, he named a weed that produces a nasty-smelling fluid, Sigibakia because he had a grudge against German botanist Johann Siegesbeck. There's more Linnaean lore in my article in the January Scientific American at tinyorl.com slash 2BOTQY. All of which means that story two about non-hybrid cars being banned from L.A.'s greener festival of lights is totally bogus because what the authorities did was allow bikes in for one night and then ban bikes after announcing they were going green with holiday lighting displays. That's according to the L.A. Times, which also notes that 150,000 cars snaked through the Festival of Lights last year. Well, that's it for this edition of the weekly Scientific American podcast. You can write to us at podcast.siam.com. And check out numerous features at the new Siam.com website, including the year's top science stories, the hot topics section, and the community. Science Talk, the weekly podcast of Scientific American. I'm Steve Mursky. Talk to you in 2008 and thanks for clicking on us.
1: What a wonderful world
0: I see trees of green Red roses too I see them bloom for me new.
1: Myself. So.